Well, you can take your Bible and turn over to Matthew chapter 2 as we talk about the hope of the wise men. Matthew chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to share a few kind of corny jokes with you today. So I don't have a laugh track. You know, Jimmy Fallon, he did the Tonight Show from home, and all he had was his kids. But here's some kind of corny jokes that maybe you can get a little humor out of. The report's in about Christmas 2020, and Christmas has been very different due to the pandemic. So note the differences. Production was down this year at Santa's workshop. Many of the elves had to elf isolate. Now that's a bad one, isn't it? Why are Santa's reindeer allowed to travel on Christmas Eve? They have herd immunity. Do you know why Mary and Joseph could not join their work conference call? There was no Zoom in the end. These are bad, aren't they? Do you know which Christmas film was 30 years ahead of its time? Home Alone. <laughs> and lastly, how's the pandemic like my stomach after Christmas? It takes ages to flatten the curve. <laughs> so there you go. So on a more interesting note, we're going to look lastly in our Christmas series on revisiting the nativity story on the hope of the wise men. Austin started us off on November 29th, that first Advent weekend. The coming king talked about who Christ was, and we learned, again, reminded about our Christology and knowing in a practical way um, how we should view Christ at this Christmas season. We looked at the faith of Mary and the courage of Joseph. We saw the joyous message given to the shepherds who also went out and shared that joyous message with others in the town of Bethlehem. And we saw last week in our Christmas sermon that love that was born at Christmas as we talked about the amazing birth of Christ and his incarnation after being born a virgin. How miraculous and an important part of the story that is. Today we close out this series looking briefly at the importance and the significance of the Magi making their way from the east to Bethlehem to offer gifts and worship to the future king of the Jews. So as we've done each week, we're going to watch a short video clip. Those of you online, I posted this early this morning for you to look at either later or even now if you want to switch over and watch this video clip on uh, the wise men. And I will say it's not an accurate depiction, but to finish out our story, um, we're going to show how they came as this video portrays them coming on that evening, that first Christmas night and offering their gifts. So let's watch this video together.
frankincense. For the priests and for the priests. gift of myrrh to honor thy sacrifice. Just think about how serious it was for those wise men as they offered those gifts and then also offered their worship as we talk and unfold this story today. Well, the Lamar Outdoor Billboard Company near New York City a couple Christmases ago showed silhouettes of the traditional images of three wise men approaching the nativity scene during a Christmas season. Its message on it said, you know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason instead of religion. I think every human being is on a personal search for three things as we talk about in a moment, but it starts with the sense of, you know, why am I here? Where did I come from? And where am I going? I think people all over the world, when they pillow their head at night or whenever they have quiet moments to sit alone, maybe even after a difficult time in their life, they sit and ponder this idea of, is there something bigger out there than myself? Is there someone out there who I can connect with? When they look up at the stars at night or stand and look out over the Rocky Mountains, if you've ever been to Estes Park, Colorado, you get a sense that something bigger than you created this place. When you stand as I have at Niagara Falls and look out those amazing falls and all the water that's coming over those falls in New York or in Brazil or as I've been in Cancun, Mexico, you have a tremendous sense that someone's bigger than you and you wonder who it is and how you can connect or know that person. I think the universal truth is, fits with reality, that fits with how civilization works and how science and the world works is found in the absolute unchanging truth of God. God is the author of truth and all truth is God's truth. 
not only is the Bible the source of God's truth, but also things that we discover, for example, in science or recorded history or study of anthropology, sociology, archaeology, just to name a few things that back up the truths of Scripture. God's truth is able to be evidenced and experienced in every human heart. The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, said this in Ecclesiastes 3, that God has put eternity into man's heart. In John 18, Pontius Pilate, just before he um, gave the execution sentence to crucify Jesus, asked Jesus this question. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world. And notice what Jesus says, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? We don't know if he was speaking from a searching heart or he was being sarcastic at the time, but that is a question that all of us ask ourselves, what is truth? And Jesus speaks to that in John 14, 6, a very familiar passage of scripture. Jesus said to, to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Psalm 119 and John 17, it tells us that your word, God's word, is truth. So these magi, sometimes called wise men, were on a search that they'd spent their entire lives on. They were Gentile seekers on a long journey to find the one who would reveal more of God's truth than had ever been revealed to them before. So let's look on your outline, first of all, the search, the search for truth. The search for truth. And they were so hungry spiritually to find it that they traveled for a long distance, many miles, some say many months, to see this babe in the manger or the, in the house that they will see in a few moments. Now look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the, Ju the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose and went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The Magi were God fearing some people believe Gentiles. They may not know who the true God was, but they were seeking out to find out who that was. And much of them had, much has been written about the Magi based on tradition and speculation, but very little found in fact. For example, they're not kings, but rather advisors to the kings. Here are some things we need to know about the Magi. The Magi were either from Persia or Babylon. They may have uh, been astrologers or followed Zoroastrianism. The word magi comes from the Greek word M-I-G-I, magi, the same word we use, which is Persian word for the select set of priests. These priests function 
as religious leaders, as also civil and political counselors to the kings of Media and Persia. In time, their power grew to the extent that they became known as the kingmakers. They may have been the ones who uh, determined who was elected to be the next king. This may be the reason why there's confusion about these people maybe being kings. We often sing that hymn at Christmas time, we three kings of Orient are. Their, educated, their education included a mix of astronomy, of astrology, of science, and religion. They studied the stars and the influence of the stars on the lives and the destinies of people and the nations. <clears throat> they were also interpreters of dreams. They were around at the time that Daniel was there with them when he interpreted his dreams as well. And Daniel and his friends joined a group of wise men, as the Bible teaches. Well, the group of magi who searched for the newborn king were men who'd been influenced by the Jews and were looking forward to the coming of the king of the Jews. The fact that they undertook such a difficult journey in order to worship him strongly suggested that they may have been believers in the God of the Jews, that maybe through Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and others from the captivity who had been displaced and taken to Babylon could have influenced them in their beliefs. We know that's probably true as we look at the book of Daniel and how he had interaction with the wise men of the council of Nebuchadnezzar and the other kings. Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were probably called magi. In fact, one of the titles given to Daniel was Rab Maj, the chief of the magi. You and I, were a lot like the magi. Under all the education, under all the astute learning that we have, all the experience that we've had in our lives, I think there's an underlying desire. Is all this true? Is what we know about God, is it true? And how has it changed our lives? It's interesting if you look at the story, notice that Herod summoned the religious leaders. And the religious leaders readily gave him the prophecy from Mike, Micah 5.2 to say that this truly was the Son of God, the King of the Jews. But guess what? They didn't even take the time to go and to see the babe in the manger. They, did, they were indifferent to what they knew. They didn't even have a desire to go and see for themselves if it was true. After Herod hears from the religious leaders, he summons these magi, these wise men. And he, with false sincerity, wanted to know from the magi just where the king of the Jews was going to be born so he could, quote, worship him. And, of course, we don't read the part of the Christmas story later on in Matthew 2 where Herod sends the troops and the soldiers in to Bethlehem and to kill all the male children two years of age and younger. The Bible prophesies about the weeping of Ramah. Can you imagine what it must have been like when the soldiers came in and killed all the Hebrew children, boys, two years of age and younger? How sad those families must have been. That's gory detail. It's a troubling thought in the midst of a somewhat peaceful and wonderful Christmas story. So here's some things that I think every human being wants to know for themselves. First of all, every human being wants to be loved. They want to know that they are loved. We all have that innate desire to be loved by other people, to be accepted for who God made us to be and how he has made us. We are made for relationship, and we're made to be affirmed by other people. I think that's one of the things that this pandemic has taught us more than anything else, is isolation is not healthy for us. We can't do this 
for years. We need that connection with one another. Second of all, every human being wants to have assurance and security in their soul. I'm talking about in their emotions. They want to have assurance and security. I believe every human being wants to find peace for themselves, to know that he or she is safe in what they believe. <clears throat> and you can live with confidence and not doubt as to who they are. They don't have to doubt if they're valuable or significant. One thing God values deeply is that every human has, he has created wants them to know that they have worth in his sight. Everyone that God has created is valuable, is worthy of dignity and respect. Many of us have a low spiritual esteem of ourselves, if we're honest. Some of us think we're not deserving of God's love and his grace because of things we've done in our past. Or others, when they keep sinning, they feel that they've used up all of God's grace, all of his love, his mercy, and his patience. But guess what? God knows everything about us. Not only what we've done in the past, what we're presently doing, but he knows everything in the future, and he still loves us. I hear people say that their view of God is that he's up in heaven, and he has a big hammer, and I'm waiting for judgment to fall on my life. But one pastor said it this way, that God is not mad at you. He's mad about you. He loves you. He loves you unconditionally, and he wants you to come to him just as you are. You see, we take our view of ourselves and place that view on how we think God views us. We project our feelings and our distaste of who we are, thinking God is that way. We need to have confidence and acceptance of the grace that God has given to us. He wants to hear and answer our prayers. He longs to forgive us. Think of the story of the prodigal son and the father waiting with open arms to welcome his wayward son back. He wants to show compassion and mercy toward each and every one of us. Christmas was announced to the lowest of the low in society before anyone else. And so he loves those that are brokenhearted, those who are separated from him, desires to bring them in. A Christian counselor was asked one time, after as many years of studying and, and counseling people, 40, 50 hours a week, what are the key things that you've learned from your counseling practice? He said, I've concluded two major causes of most emotional problems with Christians are these. One, failure to understand, receive, and live out God's promises of unconditional love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness for themselves. To take what they know and live it out. And second of all, the failure to give out unconditional love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness to others. He said that we know our theology, but we don't live as if we really believe it. That it's head knowledge, that we don't really appropriate it to our hearts. Philip Yancey said this, grace means there's nothing I can do to make God love me more and nothing I can do to make God love me less. It means that I, even I who deserve the opposite, are invited to take my place at the table in God's family. None of us are worthy. None of us are deserving, but it's by his grace and his finished work on the cross that we are come with grateful hearts to know that we are of value to him and significance. And thirdly, I think every human being wants to know their purpose for life. Their purpose for life. <clears throat> There's a few people I've met over the years who just kind of woke up every morning and lived life as it came. 
but most people have a desire to know what their purpose is and how can I aim to fulfill that purpose. I cannot overstate this enough. God made each and every one of us unique and unlike any other human being. Our family gathered this week for Christmas with our three kids and our grandkids, and it was just another reminder how different my three kids are. They all have different personalities. They have different interests. They have different gifts. God has given you and I natural talents. If you know Christ the Savior, he's given you a unique package of spiritual gifts that fit well with your personality. And when you're filled with the Spirit, we can see the evidence of that. I see it all the time when we gather for a wana and I see all the workers and how they complement each other with their skill sets and the spiritual gifts that they have. I see it on our elder board. I see it in different levels of ministry in our church. And each one of us has our own spiritual journey with Jesus being the author and the finisher of our faith. So don't ever feel worthless or insignificant. The world does a great job of crushing our self-esteem, of challenging our worth and our significance. But God always sees the brokenhearted. The application here is wise men are still seeking after the true reality that only comes from Jehovah God. God is the one who answers what reality is all about. As we search for the absolute truth that satisfies our soul, when we find the truth, our soul finds hope and promise of seeing God in person one day. Do you realize, do you really stop and think about the fact that one day you're going to be made into the image of Jesus Christ and you're going to know God as he is? We live by faith. We, we, we don't have the sight. We don't have the ability to see him. It blows my mind that one day, not only will we see him, but we will be like him. It says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That only makes me excited and exhilarated, but it also makes me tremble to think about standing before a holy God, but that he made us righteous so we would have the ability and the capacity to do that and not be burned up the instant we see him. Second of all, we see the source of truth, the source of truth. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, look at verses 10 and 11. When they, the Magi, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Notice in verse 10, the truth brings great joy. Great joy. Bethlehem is about three, four miles south of Jerusalem. Up until now, the star has led the Magi from the east to the west. Now it seems to have taken a left turn and headed toward the south. Some think it was the reappearance of the Shekinah glory of God, like the pillar of fire described by the Israelites in the wilderness as God led them through that journey. Others think it might have been like in the video we saw a beam of light emitted to the house to show them the location. What is more likely is the star didn't move but became visible again as the Magi left Jerusalem and headed toward Bethlehem. Then it faded from visibility when the Magi approached the proper house where Jesus was. The Magi did not find Jesus until some months after he was born and found him in a house, as the scriptures say, not in a stable, 
A clue to that fact is that Herod asked the wise men when they had first seen the star and then sent his soldiers to kill every Jewish boy, as we said, under two years of age. This also reveals to us that the Magi traveled for a very long time from a great distance. We don't have any idea exactly when the star appeared to the Magi, but we assume it led them for quite a long journey and a long time. One of my favorite Greek words, Austin studying Greek or just finished a semester in Greek, one of my favorite Greek words is kara, joy. And kara means cheerfulness. For example, calm delight, gladness. It's used here saying that it was great joy, exceeding joy. They were filled with joy. They were overwhelmed with exhilaration for the fact that they saw the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Has the Christmas story brought you this kind of joy anew this Christmas season? As you review the story, once again, a very simple story that a child can understand, an adult as old as 100 and whatever. It's simple enough for anyone to understand, but yet it brings so much joy to our lives. Second of all, the truth brings freedom under this point. It brings freedom. <clears throat> we sang a song about that God makes all things new and that we are set free. Jesus said in John 8, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The freedom I'm talking about is a freedom that comes into your heart when you know God's truth, and you're satisfied with following him and what he says. It's the breaking of the power over sin in our lives. I'm so excited about Celebrate Recovery. Hopefully that's going to be able to kick off in January. They've been training for months, way back in the summer and all through the fall. And because of COVID, they've had to delay their opening. And I wish I could be a, a leader in it, a part of it, because it's basically it's helping these folks who've been addicted in many ways and are battling that to gain freedom through discipleship, through accountability, through worship, through getting together and disciplining themselves and having self-control. For us, maybe the freedom we need is to get over a battle with maybe food disorders or bad habits with our language or bad attitude or a willingness to uh, stop rebelling against those in authority over us and follow those in the teaching that God has for those that are in authority over us. Next week, we'll talk more about our personal priorities as we enter 2021, but each of us has an area or two in our lives that we need to seek out and allow God to break the power of sin and to give us that freedom. The truth leads to worship. The truth leads to worship. Not only did they give gifts, but they bowed in his presence. They worshiped the child. They had not just come just to satisfy their curiosity, but to worship him as they would worship God. <clears throat> they then presented their gifts as an act of worship to the child. The Greek word there in Matthew's gospel saying presented means an offering given to God. They presented these gifts as if they were giving them to God. Now, just because there were three gifts given, it doesn't mean that there were just three wise men. We make that assumption. There could have been two. There could have been ten. We don't know, but we know that they gave three gifts. And gold was for his royalty. And the scripture gold was a symbol for royalty and signified the glory and deity of God. It was 
thus an appropriate gift to give to God the Son. Frankincense was given as a symbol of his deity, that he would be the high priest. This was a sweet incense that was used in connection with some of the offerings in the temple. Its aroma rising to God in prayer. Myrrh was for his humanity. It was, it was an embalming oil that was put into a body after it was dead. It signified the fact that Jesus was born to be the final sacrifice for the world's sins. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Furthermore, these gifts also had a practical value. As I said last week, they may have provided the family uh, financial help as they ran from Herod and fled to Egypt for a period of time. But here's the application. How is the truth setting you and keeping you free this Christmas? How is it setting you free? Are you filled with joy? Are you filled with power over sin? What did the Magi do with the truth? What will we do with this baby Jesus? This is very important for those online and everyone to be reminded of here in our sanctuary is that everyone in their lifetime is going to stand before God and their eternity is going to be based on what they did with this baby Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That's important for us to remember. Our last point today is the significance of the truth. The significance of the truth. The wise men obeyed the voice of truth. Herod told them to come back after they found the baby in Bethlehem and let him know so he could come to worship him. But it says here in verse 12 that God came to them in a dream and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now we don't know what happened to the Magi after that and what they did with the truth that they found. They seemed to be on a search for that spiritual truth of the universe and it was satisfied in their heart. We hope they took it back to their hometown and shared it with those people around them. They certainly complied with God over what King Herod wanted them to do. But the visit of the wise men, the Magi, substantiated at least five features of the Christmas story. And I encourage you to write these down. These aren't in your notes. But by them visiting, it supports and gives more credence to the facts of this story. Number one, it confirmed Bethlehem as the prophesied birthplace of the Messiah. In chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. It proved, just like we found in Luke 2, that God could control events. Chapter 2, verse 12. He told them in a dream to not go back to Herod, but to go home. It proved again that God would control events. Number three, it revealed that human authorities would lie and oppose Jesus. In verse 8 of chapter 2 of Matthew's Gospel. And also the star provided another miraculous sign of the incarnation. Another example, another picture, not just the shepherds coming, but also the wise men coming to his home. And the Magi's visit demonstrated that Christmas is for everyone. These were Gentiles. And so God was revealing himself to the Gentiles as well as the Jewish people. Jesus truly is the king of all nations. Two things as we wrap up this Christmas season. If you turn over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, there's two other interesting characters that we're just going to touch on as we finish. 
Not only just the wise man, but the devout man voiced the truth of who Jesus was, Simeon. Simeon, you might know Simeon. It was time for Jesus to go to the temple. Some say it was on the eighth day for circumcision. Others say it was the 40th day. But nonetheless, it was time for Jesus to go according to the law of Moses. And he had to be circumcised, as we'll talk about in just a moment. And so they go there, and the ceremony is performed, and Simeon is there. And Simeon is a man who God revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah, the consolation of peace for Israel, the salvation of the Israelites. And so it was very important. And we know as they went, they offered a sacrifice according to the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This was a poor man's sacrifice. The normal sacrifice would be a lamb offered as a burnt offering to God. But it was proper to fulfill all righteousness and show obedience to the law, according to Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. It was necessary for the future usefulness of Christ. He had to be circumcised or he wouldn't be admitted into the synagogue or the temple. He would have no access to the people and could not have been regarded as the Messiah. Both he and Mary therefore yielded obedience to the laws of the land and thus set an example that we should walk in their steps. And as they were there, it says in verse 28 of Luke chapter 2, that Simeon took him up, Jesus, in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what he said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus was going to reveal people's true hearts. Jesus would be the light of salvation to the entire world. Mary and Joseph, it says, marveled at that. He said that some would accept the message, the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, but many, many others would reject him and oppose him. Notice the word rise there, those who receive Christ, the fall, those who reject Christ. And this would hurt Mary greatly, Simeon said, because it would be like a sword piercing through her own soul. What must it have been like for Mary to be at the site of the crucifixion watching her own son dying before her own eyes? Well, then we see another person, the devout woman, shared the truth of what she saw with others. And also at that same ceremony, at that same time, there was in Luke chapter 2, verse 36, a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she not, did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That was Anna, waiting a long time to see the consolation of Israel, the salvation of Israel through the Messiah. So our application is this. How skillful are you in following the truth of God found in your heart? Think of the obedience of the wise men to the dream. 
<clears throat> think about Simeon waiting a lifetime, serving God faithfully, hoping to see the Messiah. Anna, 84 years of age. How skillful are you in following the truth of God found in your heart? How are you responding to the truth God has revealed to you? Are you so overwhelmed with this child born at Christmas that you're sharing him with others as you have the opportunity to do it? So we'll talk more about these in the coming weeks, but I want to give you a, a direct application to what we've talked about as we think about truth for our own lives. There's so many things out there in our world of philosophies and the secular culture. There's many that appeal to our minds, our emotions, but how are we going to be discerners of the truth in 2021 as Satan, who is very crafty, is putting all kinds of things out there. So a strategy for following the truth. just want to give these to you very quickly. First of all, we need to be careful. Don't always trust your feelings. Your feelings can sometimes be inaccurate. Sometimes they're not trustworthy. I think in Genesis chapter 24 and verse 27, when Abraham told his servant to go and find a wife for Isaac, to go back to the people, his own people. He didn't want him to have a wife of those around him. And he said, the servant said, I being in the way the Lord led me. He followed what Abraham had told him to do. Second of all, don't always trust your common sense. <clears throat> That's what the world tries to tell us to do. There's no thing, such things as the supernatural, as miracles. And so they want to appeal to the fact that, like that billboard at the beginning of the message. Focus on reason and science. Thirdly, don't get distracted. Deuteronomy 5 says don't look to the left or to the right, but stay focused on God alone. And don't get distracted. Don't go off the path. Another one is don't always follow the crowd. It's amazing to me when I listen to the news, one of the things they like to say, polls say this. And so truth is now based on what the majority of people in our society believe. That's what they want to get across in many ways. And don't always follow the crowd. Don't underestimate Satan's involvement. He's behind the scenes. He's working. We can see him out in front of us almost now in many, many ways. And don't minimize the value of faith. The value of faith. Skeptics get stuck on the miracles of the Bible. For example, the virgin birth. Why can't God supersede the natural laws he created to do miraculous things? That's where faith comes in. So lastly, what will you do with the truth? What will you do with the truth found in God? Are you going to choose instead to live by your feelings? Or as some people are doing, as I see in my class as I teach, to create and follow an alternative truth. They like syncretism. I call it the smorgasbord of religions, where they can go and pick and choose the best of the religions and make their own. And they call themselves spiritual. Create or follow an alternative truth. Or do we just go with the flow of the current culture? Go with the flow of the current culture. Or lastly, stand on your beliefs and convictions based on Christ and his word. Those are the choices that are before us. As we move into 2021, as we even see the events of 2020, and we're going to talk more about these things in the coming year. 
We see the secular culture running as fast away from God, his truths and principles as they can. Here's some questions to ponder as we conclude today. As you evaluate the year 2020, how much have you been distracted from the truth of Christ and his word? <clears throat> That's something I'm constantly looking at in my life. What little things have creeped into my life that are from a worldly thought process? What things have I bought into that I know don't line up with God's word? Second of all, how hard will it be or is it to live by faith and not your feelings in every aspect of your life? That's a challenge. Sometimes I don't feel like doing what God wants me to do. And at that point, do I listen to my feelings or do I go ahead and follow in obedience, trusting that the feelings will follow? And thirdly, what strategies do you have for discerning the truth that you will act upon in 2021? In his book, Deserted by God, author and pastor Sinclair Ferguson, our men's group watched a series of videos from Sinclair Ferguson. He said this, the first physician to die of the AIDS virus in the United Kingdom was a young Christian. He had contracted it while doing medical research in Zimbabwe. In the last days of his life, his power to communicate failed. He struggled with increasing difficulty to express his thoughts to his wife. On one occasion, she simply could not understand his message. He wrote on a notepad the letter J. She ran and got her medical dictionary and ran through all these words that started with J found in the dictionary. None was right. Then she said, Jesus, and he nodded his head. That was the right word. God was with them. That was all either of them needed to know, and that always is enough. Let's bow for prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for these magi. We thank you for their study and their research and their heart's desire to find the truth. And then when it was revealed to them to follow the star, Lord, that they made that eventful journey, that long journey. I can imagine it was arduous, it was difficult, but we thank you, Lord, that they were willing to satisfy their heart's desire to see the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And not just to bring gifts, but to worship him and honor him and identify him. Lord, as we close out this Christmas season, may we be like these wise men, these magi, and search for the truth, the unadulterated truth, and not settle for second best, not settle for giving in to our feelings or what others may think, or following lies that we know are not true, but Lord, that we would just settle on the truth of who you are and find peace and joy in that. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.